Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of Curiosityness. I am Travis DeRose, the host, and this episode I have on Ryan Shelley and Luke Cole of a podcast called CID. And CID is uh, a legal podcast where they talk about legal topics and historic cases and kind of help people just get an understanding and a knowledge of the law. And that's just kind of what we dig into um, on this episode is we just get into basics, uh, basic things that everybody should kind of learn and need to know. And um, it does take a it is a little in depth, uh, and it takes a bit to get into it. But um, I think once we get the ball rolling, it's it really, really good. And there's a lot of good info in here. So uh, just stick around. Trust me, uh, you're going to like this episode, and you're going to learn a lot. Um, so without further ado, here is Ryan and Luke. And we are going. What's up? We got Ryan and Luke. How you guys doing? Hey, good, good. Thanks for having us on your show, man. Yeah, of course. So you guys have. Well, you have your own show. What is we it? Do. Okay, so what's what's the name of your show? How do you pronounce it correctly? It's it's C ID. Okay, yes, so ID. Yep, S E E I D. Period. Okay, where did that name come from? Uh, so the word in Latin ibid i b i d means same. Uh, so if you read a law review article or a case, um, they'll refer to a source, right? Uh-huh. So you'll like. Name one source, and then if you want to say the same source again, you'll say id. Yeah, ibid. so so Luke and I were on law review together. We're both law students at the University of Iowa. We're in our final semester, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but l- last year in law review, what we would do, you know, two nights a week, is spend about six hours reviewing articles, going through footnotes, and making sure all the footnotes were exactly correct, that they supported the assertion that was being cited. Um, and if you ever got a packet of footnotes, cause you do about like 10, 10 footnotes per packet, maybe on average, if you got a packet that was full of id citations or C id citations, it made it really, really easy because it kept citing to the same source over and over and over again. So getting a bunch of id citations was like something that was really exciting for us. And so we figured that, that law students and lawyers would be like, Oh yeah. See, and they would, you know, click with them. Okay, that's good. So that Pretty I shouldn't feel bad for that going right over my head then. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a legal thing, and our show is a legal podcast, so okay, uh, it's it's kind of an inside joke. And one of our first episodes, I think we talk about why we call it what we did. So okay, hop on over to our podcast and listen. You guys yeah, can right. find out. <laughs> Available on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere you listen to your podcast. Yeah, we're on iTunes, Stitcher. We're not on Spotify. We're working oh. on that. Um, okay, but you know, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, PlayPod, all those good things. Sweet. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, what – I mean, so is the – is your podcast kind of targeted towards like me, like the general population or who's who's it for, I guess? Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, – I think a lot of it is sort of law students um, trying to connect with them. On the other hand, the reason we started the podcast was because we wanted to, we wanted to kind of break down complex legal ideas that we feel anybody should probably have a basic grasp about. So, you know, from my perspective, I think it is targeted toward everybody because I think if you want to be a civically minded person, especially in today's crazy climate, Mm -hmm. it's important to know the framework that you're working in, right? That really understanding the system 
should proceed coming to an opinion about a political position. So knowing what the Equal Protection Clause means really matters. Knowing what due process is really matters. And having a basic understanding of those those frameworks really helps inform why people's opinions are what they are. I think okay. we make it try and make it as, as engaging and educational as possible. So yeah, anyone can hop into it. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not overly dense. There are some things that I mean, you, you want to be engaged and you want to learn. Um, we do one, for example, I think episode six was about all like how a lawsuit works. Mm-hmm. And lawsuits are obviously very complicated. So that one gets a little dense. On the other hand, we have our fifth episode, which was about this kid who rode a sled down a hill and broke their leg. And uh, there ended up being a really large lawsuit because the the leg ended up getting cut off. But it's one of the basic one of the first cases we talk about in in torts, and you know, it's th- this thing called the eggshell skull rule. Basically, what happened was these two kids were in a classroom. It's like a one room schoolhouse, okay? Mm-hmm. And one kid kind of knocks into the other kid's leg, and it's nothing big. They're not roughhousing. They're just you know, kind of, I don't know, joking around, right? Well, just knocking into that leg started a huge infection in that kid's leg. And, and the question was, you know, who's liable, even though the kid couldn't have necessarily foreseen that sort of injury. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't know that the kid had a huge infection in his leg, that if you just bump into it, it was going to cause major, major damage. So should he be at fault? Right. And, and so the eggshell skull rule says, yeah, you take your, you take your defendant as they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there are unforeseen uh, consequences. That's, that's too bad. Uh, that's, it's, you're liable for it. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that one is, is pretty interesting. It's like, you know, this really colorful story about these little kids sliding down this, the sled and was it the 1800s. Yeah. Late 19th century, late 19th century. And we, we kind of, you know, tell a story. So the episodes are varied. There's like storytelling episodes and then there's more like, Hey, here's some law you should know. Right. I see. Yeah. And it's like something everybody almost inevitably is going to have to deal with some sort of law or legal case in their life, it seems like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And this is just like understanding the basic concepts, I think, as it helps you be better informed about what's happening in the world now. Um, a lot of constitutional issues, um, I think we've talked about people should engage with those things. People should understand the basis of those. Uh, also, I think what we do well is try to separate law from like politics. Um, politics is obviously anytime is a political moment, but particularly now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not trying to move the needle on anything or advocate for a position. We're just sort of talking about what the law is and uh, whether you want to change the law or not. That's more of a political thing. Um, yeah, that's a policy situation. Like if you think three strike laws are good or bad, that's more of a policy position. But how it works is a legal issue. And so we, you know, we try not to advocate policy things too much. Obviously we have our own yeah. uh, political positions and we don't like pretend that we don't because that would be fake and not cool. Mm. But, but, you know, we, we acknowledge our position and we try to talk about, you know, there's more, maybe more conservative jurists or conservative legal scholars who believe X and here's why they believe X and here's where they base it in the constitution. And here's, Here's why that's good or bad, and here's the pros and cons of that. 
And so we get into kind of the the muddiness of the of the legal system, which is also an important thing that people should know. Mm-hmm. So we, we 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 try to give people uh, a place where they can come and and learn and really think about you know if if a law is discriminating against somebody, how what does that actually mean constitutionally, and and is there actually is it is it actually legal? I mean, some sometimes it may it very well may be. It might be not. It, for example, if you're discriminating against a group of people and it's not a protected class, it might be legal. If it's a protected class, it gets touchier. Like discrimination based on sex is very different than discrimination based on race. We have different standards, and one is higher than the other, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. So, you know, we just try to lay it out there and let people make up their minds for themselves. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. I mean, just hearing that, man, it's it's incredibly complex, and there's so much to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's gnarly. But yeah, if 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 people can just kind of get a basic understanding of it and uh have an idea of what's going on and and how things work really and then uh leave all the incredibly minute details to you guys, that that <laughs> works great too. Yeah, um, people can always uh go to our website and comment and ask us questions too. Uh you know, we 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 check our website uh for comments on our episodes, things like that. Uh, so if somebody listens to an episode and they have questions, they should reach out to us. We're happy to answer them. Sweet. Awesome. Love that. Yeah. Um, cool. So let's just get with like, I mean, how did you guys, how did this all evolve? How did you guys meet? Um, how did this podcast kind of begin? Uh, yeah. Well, so we met first year of school, um, mm-hmm. you know, first week, basically. Yeah. At orientation, we, so, so the week before classes start at, at Iowa, we have a 1L orientation, so that's a first-year law student orientation, and we had to go around the room and say something about ourselves uh, that was interesting or unique, something right. like that. Yeah. And uh, do you want? Would you like to share the thing you said? No, no. My thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't eat with uh, spoons. Luke uh, doesn't use spoons. Only forks. Yes. Yeah, so only. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. He doesn't we, use spoons. We don't have to get into the weeds on that. <laughs> it's, but. You, you'll never get to the bottom of it. I've been trying for you know the last three years, and <laughs> it's it's a never ending. But I it, it stuck with me, and so I you know we. I think we, we have we have similar senses of humor. We we do. A it's bit. kind of absurdist <laughs> meme centric senses of humor, and uh, so we kind of met each other during that. We were in the same orientation class, but we didn't really engage with each other too much right away. We actually started hanging out because we had a board game night at our friend Emmanuel's house. And I think the first night we played Monopoly, probably. Probably. Yeah, yeah. There's some, something real basic. Mm-hmm. Now we play a much, much better game than Monopoly. Monopoly is a bad game. That, that could be a whole episode of why Monopoly is bad. Um, <laughs> but so we started hanging out there and, you know, we became closer and closer friends. Um, we just... I, I thought the stuff he was doing was very odd and funny and, and quirky. And so, you know, we just started getting along. We were uh, neighbors in the library. We both had yeah. desks right next to each other in the library, too. So then, that's that's kind of how we met. Yeah, Ryan's like, hey, let's do a podcast about legal stuff, legal education. Well, that was... And I'm like, yeah, this was last summer. And I'm like, all right, so <laughs> buy some mics and we can just start talking. <laughs> yeah, Luke, <laughs> yeah, I was like, so Luke, uh, we should do a podcast. It's going to cost us each like a few hundred bucks to get involved. He's like, yeah, all right, sure. Yeah, whatever. Right. So, so we got, we got rolling pretty quick, uh, last semester, third year. Unfortunately, I wish we would have started earlier because yeah. it's been fun. Um, and we've actually learned a lot. It's been really helpful 
for reviewing for the bar exam and things like that, which we'll have to take this coming summer in July, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So reviewing some topics that we haven't visited since our first year is mm -hmm. really, really helpful for us. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, it's been like scholarly for us and just a good, yeah. you know, free time something to do. or something to do. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome how how like easy it is to get into podcasting, you know, where we're in that world now where Yeah, yeah. It's you just buy some mics and you can throw it on the internet and anyone can listen to it. It's awesome. You don't have to like convince a, a radio show or a TV, you know, nope. producer to to back you or anything. It's it's great. Yeah, I mean the the startup costs, you know, we we got some some nicer microphones and you wouldn't even need the system we have. We have like a, a mixer and things like that. You can get just like a USB mic and go. Mm -hmm. If you really wanted to, and you know, the, the overhead costs, like if you want to like host it on a website or something, I don't know where you, you host yours through. Is it just on your website or like, I just, we have uh, a, we have a Squarespace. Okay. So we just run everything through, through Squarespace, which right. is, which is great. Mm -hmm. They have like unlimited uploads and things like that, where places like Lisbon or Podbean, which are very popular as well. Mm -hmm. You can make a website through them and, uh, you pay like a monthly fee, uh, for that. But with Squarespace, I think you pay for the whole Squarespace. You can make multiple websites, things like that. And they will host all your podcasts for you. So that's, that's how we do ours. And they oh. have beautiful design templates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's plug Squarespace on that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. I didn't realize that I'm on, I'm on Libsyn, but, uh, it's a little more like technical maybe I'd say, but, uh, mm -hmm. it works out fine. Yeah, we we looked at them as well. They're they're really good. Um, Squarespace just really fit with us. We we were between those two, so mm -hmm. not surprised you'd be with with a really good group like them. Good enough. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. So how many? I guess. So you guys are where are you guys going to school right now? Uh, we're at the University of Iowa. Iowa. Yep, Iowa. So we're in Iowa City. Okay. Yep. Uh, if if nobody really knows where that is in Iowa, uh, if you go straight. <laughs> Straight west from Chicago for about three and a half hours. You'll hit us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just, just take I-80, just straight west. Okay. You will not miss us. So, and then why did you guys both kind of decide to to jump into law school? Uh, for me, it was just sort of, I guess, the inevitable next step. Um, I ended up taking the LSAT and uh, things turned out okay. And I'm like, sure. Uh, you, well, you actually had a... Wow, you had a roommate, right? Yeah, had a had an LSAT book. And had you're some like, books hanging around, and so I, like, I what is this? Picked those up, and I took the test. Uh, I did the activities, and I took the test, and everything worked out. Yeah, uh, so he just just randomly found an LSAT book, and he's like, "Yeah, all right, law school." Yeah, yeah. what? Okay, there, there was a there was a little more thought than that, I, but not right. Much. Luke yeah, yeah. is Luke is like super duper smart, so it's not it's not terribly surprising that he would challenge himself and go to go to law school. I don't know if you're deciding between med school or training school or law school, but you were, I mean, obviously yeah, you gotta go somewhere. Yeah. You, you needed some postgraduate something. You're too smart not to. Um, I, I went to, so I actually started out as a music major in undergrad and I went to Luther college in Decorah, Iowa, which is just South of the border from Minnesota. And I love Decorah. It's beautiful. They have one of the top breweries like in the nation. Um, and they have like beautiful springs and bluffs and waterfalls, like really just awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, but I realized I could come back to Iowa City, which is where I'm from. I'm, I'm like stationed here. My family's here. Right. And I could graduate undergrad with no debt that way. I'm like, well, <laughs> I can't really argue with no debt, right? Yeah. So, so I 
came back to Iowa and I was like, all right, so I love music, but I don't know if I want to do it for my career. And I was like, oh, well, I could see doing theater. I know I did a lot of acting, things like that in high school and undergrad. And so I joined the mock trial team because they needed characters for mm-hmm. witnesses. Right. And I played, you know, every single character in the case it was like 20 characters or something. And I loved the whole process. And then they had me play a lawyer and I was really good at it. And I still wasn't like sold on law school, but I kind of like sat down and had a come to Jesus moment where I just was like, what am I going to do next? And I was looking at what classes I'd taken that I liked what I would was doing really well. And I'm like, Oh, my speaking classes and writing classes are like where I'm really excelling. Mm-hmm. And this, this lawyer thing seems kind of, kind of fun. So maybe this is what I should do. And so I kind of fell into it and I love it. So I, I definitely, you know, went to the right place and I'm doing the right thing, but law school is certainly not for everybody. I, most people who do it, they, it's kind of a similar story. It's just, yeah, I needed something. So law school worked out. And that's really um, not a great reason to go to law school in hindsight. I, I was fortunate because I really like it, but I think a lot of people who have, that's their, their reason for going to law school probably either don't like it or burn out pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's a lot of work in a short amount of time. You know, it's a three year program. Uh, med school is, is longer and then you have residency and uh, a PhD program is usually longer because you got to get your master's first and then write a dissertation. Uh, so it's, it's stressful, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing that I think separates law school from other graduate programs too is I don't know how other schools do it, but at Iowa and at a lot of other top schools, you, you know, you go to class for the semester and then your entire grade for a class comes down to one test at the end of the semester and it's all on a curve. Mm -hmm. And so even if everybody did a work, a certain number of people have to get A's, a certain number of people have to get B's, a certain number of people have to get C's and a certain number of people have to get D's. And so everybody can do a work and then you might still get a D. Yeah. You have to do you have to do better than everybody else, and so you, it's it's just ranking everybody in a class against each other, and that's that's really stressful. You don't turn in any assignments, you don't get any class participation points really in class. You get a test, yeah. and it's all on a curve, and so your your job prospects oftentimes. And that you know Iowa has really really good job placement, so that's great for us. But you know your your one L summer is huge. Uh, because all they get are your first semester grades, basically, to decide whether they want to hire you. And your second summer, they just get your first year grades. And that's it. And that second summer might be the job you end up with after law school. So that's what it, that's what it was for me is, you know, I was working in Des Moines and uh, they got my my 1L grades and they hired me and I, I got an offer at the end of this past summer. And so if you don't do well your first year, I, you know, you, you're probably still going to get a job, especially if you go to school like Iowa, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's, it's stressful. You don't know. It's kind of up in the air. It's a very competitive field too. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, maybe you disagree. You're no, I, it's uh, a lot of pressure on the first year, especially mm-hmm. it's definitely the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the most uh, fun and transformative, I think. Yeah. I mean, you only have to do it once. It's the good thing. Yeah, it, it is. It's, you know, it's a lot of pressure, but it totally reshapes your mind. It's not at all like undergraduate. Um, every person around you is really, really smart and really prepared. Uh, nobody, nobody's sitting in the back of the class, like goofing off. 
Mm-hmm. And if they are, they it, they change quickly because right. they will not succeed. So it's it's amazing being surrounded by how like everybody who is just brilliant people with with you know PhDs. We have a neurosurgeon in our class. We have somebody who worked for like uh, the Department of Defense, I think. Somebody has a master's in violin performance. Uh, there are other people with masters in urban planning. I mean, these are brilliant people that I'm surrounded. I did community theater, so good for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know? Uh, so it's just, it's really rewarding. Um, it's a lot of work. It's stressful, but it's it's all worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Sounds tough, but but yeah, rewarding, like you said. And then, so how does the uh, how does the bar exam work? Uh, this is a good question. Um, so there's, um, it's part multiple choice and then part essay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you pick a state where you want to take the exam. Right. Uh, about half the states now have a uniform exam. So like if you take the test in uh, Iowa, you can transfer that state to uh, uh, New York and District of Columbia. Okay. And about, uh, there's other states that are uh, still holding out. So like if you take the Florida bar, you can't transfer that score to other states. So it really just depends on where you want to practice. I see. Yeah. So so the bar exam, I can't remember how many multiple choice questions it is. I think is. it's 250. And it's, those are about like, so your first year courses, that's the multiple choice. All yeah, the stuff like, you did first year. So first year, our, our schedule first semester was property, torts, and contracts, and then like a legal writing class. And then second semester, it was criminal law, civil procedure, which is just litig- civil litigation stuff. And uh, what was the other Constitutional. One? Constitutional law one. Um, so that's all on the multiple choice, 250 questions of that. Yeah. And I, the questions, I, I haven't done any practice bar questions yet, but in uh, final exams, uh, multiple choice questions like, you know, a, a paragraph and then yeah. you know, long questions, what's most likely the answer or it's at least two of the above or just it's four choices and yeah you have to pick the correct answer and then the correct reason why yeah oh, okay. so it's usually yes because a yes because b no because y and no because x and you have to you have to pick out the the what and the why yeah so so you have like a 50 50 chance of the yes no <laughs> and then you have to also understand why it's yes why it's or why right. it's no um oh, so that's so it's it's also a multi day a yeah multi day exam two days for yeah. me. The, the next day is essays. So uh-huh. with the essays, at least some of the essays, what they do is they give you like a a packet, and the packet is your library, and so you're given an assignment. It might be something like, you know, a partner has assigned you this question. You need to research, write a memo explaining how a judge is likely to rule on this issue. And so in the pack, you'll have some case law, you'll have some statutes, you'll have some other things. You'll have to you know, do the research quickly, uh, get a basic understanding, and then write a memo for your partner explaining you know, how a judge is likely to rule based on this closed universe of information you've been given. I see. So that's, that's one of them. Yeah. A lot of the bar exam is just kind of rote memorization, being able to cram a lot of information and recall it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so just memorizing rules and uh it, it takes about two months of study after you graduate yep. which we're both gonna do and that's and that's for somebody who's been through law school it takes two months so you know yeah. it's it's a lot of work if you've not been through law school it certainly would take a lot longer than two months i'm sure i think so not just because you have to learn all the material but like the way you think is just very different the way you learn to write is very different yes um 
not looking forward to it, but uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, in Iowa, <clears throat> at least first time test takers, I think it's 85 percent or something past the first time. Yeah, it's it's pretty high. So if you prepare well, you, you, yeah, I mean, you're do all right. So mm -hmm. they also have three big companies that give you barb prep stuff. You have Barbary, Themis and Kaplan, and they're all good for different reasons. Uh, but Themis is the one that we both did because our friend is one of the repre one of the representatives for Themis. And I think anybody who did 80% of the Themis work passed every single person passed on their yeah. first try. Oh, nice. So yeah. It's, it's so they not have, hopeless. Yeah. It's not hopeless. Yeah. I think people have to remember too, that the bar exam has to be written. So anybody from any school can pass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So minimal competence. It's, yeah. It's a, a lot of people say it's a test of minimum competency that as long as you're enough of a lawyer, you can pass. Right. You don't have to be the best lawyer. You don't even have to be an average lawyer. You just have to be, you know, the bare minimum a lawyer requires to pass the exam. I see. And because that it's really just passing that allows you to, you know, get the license to operate. Correct. You pass the exam and then they have like character and fitness. So they, they make sure that you, haven't done any crime of moral turpitude. Um, you haven't yeah, or uh, I don't know if I have the book here somewhere, but we, we have this thing called the Guide for Professional Responsibility. A lot of professions have some sort of ethical code. So, you know, they're going to go back through and make sure that we haven't, we don't have to, we're not lawyers yet, so we can technically violate it, but you're not supposed to. Like <laughs> if you lie on anything for any reason, the bar could sanction you or prevent you from becoming a lawyer. Just so. don't do crimes. So. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do stupid stuff. Right. It's a pretty, pretty good rule to live by and whether you're a lawyer or not. Right. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> good to know. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, you know, we've all heard these kind of, you know, terms and, and heard about this stuff, but never knew the details. So thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so what's kind of like for just kind of the normal person like me or, or anyone listening, like what's kind of the basis and uh, like things that they should kind of know related to law or something that kind of pertains to everybody? I don't know. Do you know, like, I'm just trying to get yeah, out, like, what, like what, what was, yeah. What's the one thing we could tell somebody like you need to learn for I, any reason? I think yeah. the most important thing would be to study the, um, your rights as far as criminal procedure. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with that. Your rights when you're pulled over or if you should ever be accused of a crime, hopefully mm -hmm. not. Yeah. So you want to look at like fourth, fifth and sixth amendment stuff, yeah. probably your right to privacy, your things. right to yeah refuse a search. If you, if you're being searched, um, your right to have an attorney and your right to be silent. Um, if you're ever being questioned, I think knowing those things, uh, is something that everyone should know because, um, Sooner or later, everyone will probably be pulled over at least. Um, and yeah. you should, should know your civil rights in that. That's, well, and there, I mean, obviously, the police are also a hot button topic. Um, but for what it's worth, a police officer doesn't have to ask you whether you consent to a search. They can say, I need to search your car. And if you let them, that's consent. Right. And so they can use language that's a little bit more forceful to get to obtain consent. And once you have consented, then the search is valid. Um, there are some gray areas, of course, but just because they don't ask doesn't mean that you haven't necessarily consented. So it's, it's really important to know, like, say, I do not consent, you know, mm -hmm. say that explicitly. 
um, if you if you don't consent to the search. You certainly can consent. It's well within your rights to do that if you want to. Right. Um, but like knowing, you, you know, you have a right to know why they pulled you over. Yeah. You can't be held there without, uh, I don't know if it's reasonable suspicion or probable cause or whatever, but you know, these are things we have to go back and look at again because it's been well over a year since we've taken crim pro and neither of us are practicing criminal law but there's a lot of good like resources like the aclu produces yes the aclu is fantastic the american bar association has lots of stuff for for lawyers and just basic overviews so i think finding actually accurate information about that um, is something everyone should do we're actually planning on doing an episode on this soon uh but that area of the law is just really wishy-washy um, it's, it's a really unsatisfying area of the law. It's pretty complicated. You know, I'm sure a lot of, uh, people who watch this or listen to this will know that, uh, we have a warrant requirement, you know, police are supposed to get a warrant. Well, that requirement isn't so much a requirement because there are so many exceptions to that warrant requirement. Huh. And so it's, I mean, it's kind of up in the air, whether there really is constitutionally a requirement that police officers get a warrant. Right. I suppose it's the, I suppose it's the default. But there are so many circumstances, like with cars, for example, because they're mobile, if there's evidence in them, the police can still search the car because there's a chance that it might get away. They might lose evidence. And so that's an exception to the warrant requirement. Okay. So if it's a car, you may not need a warrant. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's just a lot of weird things like that that we need to do a little bit more research on and be more prepared on before we can do the episode. So we're working on that right now. Because okay. it's a really, really important area. Yeah. That's something yeah. where, you know, you kind of need to know, like take the time to go learn about it right now because that's going to be – that moment's going to be hit on you without any warning. Like it's just going to come up and, and you're yeah. going to need to know your rights and, and everything like that. Whereas something else you may be able to, you know, you would have the time to hopefully at least look up and, and get some answers or, or talk to somebody. Well, that's and, yeah. exactly right. And if God forbid something did happen, obviously contact an attorney. You know, that's yeah. the most important thing you should do. Yeah. There are lots of attorneys that can give you just a consultation. They'll do a free consultation before you have to hire them. Sometimes you can just go talk to them about the conversation. You know, this is what happened. Here's what I'm concerned about. And they'll be able to give you some feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously contacting an attorney in your jurisdiction who knows local rules and knows the, the police in your area is going to be a lot more helpful than talking to us about it <laughs> but but uh yeah i mean gotta if, look into it yeah, if, everyone if, needs to there there are backstops too right so if if it was a bad search if it was an invalid search then there are evidentiary rules that will throw the evidence out even if they find something mm. so it's not too late if something happens with the police right they may not be able to bring it in 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 court or use it against you so that's why it's important even if you don't know your rights up front you go find your rights out after the fact as well and speak mm -hmm. to an attorney because you might be able to figure something out afterwards. Yes. That's good. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any, I don't know, tips or advice for hiring an attorney? Because that feels like uh, it's sort of like hiring a mechanic, right? Where you don't really know. It's it's tough because they're they're specialized in something that you're not familiar with. So it's like how can a normal person kind of judge their level of competency and, you know, find someone where they're not getting ripped off and everything like that. Sure. That's an interesting one. Cause I've actually really never needed a lawyer. Um, it's kind of weird that I, I want to be one, but I've never really needed one yeah. as opposed to like people who want to be doctors. You, you've been to the doctor before you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. I would say, um, if you have friends, 
mm-hmm. who have ever needed those services. I think that's probably the single best way. Yeah. If you can get a, a referral from somebody that you trust. Yeah. So if like your parent has used an attorney and they've had good experience with an attorney, that's going to go a long way because it's, you know, it's a personal account. If somebody had a bad experience with an attorney, they will tell you because lawyers are not well liked to begin with. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, the, the first thing you should do is maybe ask around to people you know who you trust right. to see if either they know anybody who they trust or have worked with anybody. Uh, after that, I mean, there are obviously you could look online for lawyers in the area, and you just have to look for a lawyer who specializes in the thing you're looking for because lawyers do not practice broadly unless they're like a solo practitioner who just does a little bit of everything. So, for example, I'm working for a like a corporate law firm and I'm working in one practice area, well, one or two practice areas, I'm going to be doing employment law and litigation and litigation is just like, you know, going to court over civil stuff, not criminal stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you need a criminal attorney, you're not going to come to me. If you need a will written, not going to come to me. Yeah. I can, I can refer you to somebody I know or somebody in our firm, but not going to come to me. So, you know, it's important to kind of search through. You don't contact a probate attorney or a real estate attorney. If you have a criminal matter, find a criminal defense attorney, you know? Yeah. Specialists. And and I think most lawyers are the utmost professional. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think they're all pretty all right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's bad apples, of course. Yes. Um, We see them in the news all the time. Yeah. That's Um, the thing. So I think you can trust most attorneys. Um, but definitely, yeah, your friends will know best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could all obviously Google them and see if something weird comes up. Sometimes that that can happen that as helps. well. Like you could, maybe they were arrested for something and they've been sanctioned by their own bar. I mean, you could you could just Google their name and see like X name attorney and then city, and then see if something bad comes up about them. And that might be some some extra work you could do to protect yourself. Right. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that, that's good. That makes sense. Um, so what do you think are some maybe misconceptions that people generally have about the law that maybe like maybe they're misinformed on something? Hmm. I think one thing is the thing we talked about earlier, which is law versus policy. Yes. Uh, so law is made largely in the courts, right? Or interpreted there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, courts are by their nature, apolitical, you know, they're neutral. Um, if you want to shape policy or tell the court what rules it has to follow, um, that's something you do, you know, with lobbying and voting. Um, but separating law from policy, I think is a big thing. Uh, and what we're talking about in law school and I think on our podcast largely is what it is and maybe why it got that way. Um, not necessarily what it should be. Yeah, I think I, I think Luke's right that that's one of the biggest misconceptions about uh, discussions about the law. People will conflate a legal argument with a policy argument, and they're just they're not the same thing. And it, it's even hard for a first year law student to be able to separate yeah separate the difference between the two. You know, if it's kind of a moral question, it's probably a policy question. It's like yeah. what should the law be is not a legal question. The legal question is the law says X. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And and so the courts. I'm a little bit more cynical than Luke. I think the courts can be political depending on what level you're at. I think he 
would probably agree with that to a certain extent. Yeah, no, they um, definitely can. Well, be. because judges are appointed by right. political, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, even the Supreme Court, you know, they talk about having conservative justices and liberal justices. But what they're doing is they're they're interpreting a document in a way that has political ramifications. It's not necessarily politically uh, motivated, right? So, for example, Justice Scalia, the late Justice Scalia, was well known for being both a textualist. So he would read the text and just say, well, the text has a plain meaning, right? So we should just read it like it says. Right. But he also he also was well known for being an originalist, which means that he would go back to, you know, the founding or even pre-founding back to like, you know, English courts and look at what the law meant back then and then use that as his, his, his interpretive guide. And just based on that, how he interpreted the law ended up having kind of a conservative outcome. But it wasn't like, you know, I feel this way about a policy and so I'm going to interpret the law so it fits my political beliefs. It's just like, here's what I think the law, here's how I think the law ought to be interpreted. Whatever the consequences are relevant because Congress can change the law, right? Mm -hmm. if, if they don't like my interpretation, they can go change it. Right. That, that's totally within their power. But this is how I think we should interpret it. And that has consequences. And those consequences are what make things political. So, I I, I, yeah, I think people really conflate, especially with the Supreme Court, yeah. things being politically motivated when I don't think the justices are nearly as politically motivated as people think they are. Okay. I think they're just they're just interpreting the law in the way they, they see fit. And depending on how you interpret it could have a, a more liberal outcomes or more conservative outcomes. And that's I think people should really understand that. I see. So it's kind yeah. of like, you know, this is this is the way it's written. This is like what the the law and rules that we're operating under. Um, and this is how we're interpreting it. Like if like that, that's what you guys are operating under. But then changing that is a total separate thing. Yeah, is that's that all policy. What, yeah, what okay. what should the law be? And it's not it's not that lawyers can't shape policy. They certainly can. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. lawyers can, you know, work in politics. They can influence politics. And there's a whole field of law, um, you know, critical studies, um, which says that the law is, you know, fundamentally flawed. Um, which you know you can empathize with because our legal system was written, you know, based largely in medieval England, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where it started. Ago. It's common law. It goes back. From courts and writs from from the you know 1500s. So you know there's there's very legitimate criticisms about um, you know what what the law is and and how it can be shaped and altered so that basically it's more fair, um, it's more just. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, well, and you know some justifications for laws go away when when society changes, right? Definitely. So if for example, well this isn't a great example. Copyright has changed a lot over the last century. Um, because we have large corporations who want greater protections like Disney. So for example, copyright protections for at one time only lasted 12 years. Hmm. Now they last like the life of the creator plus 70 years. Right. Part of, part of that is because there's a lot more money in it mm -hmm. and we want to encourage innovative ideas. Um, and if you only get 12 years protection, maybe people won't be as incentivized to create new big things because they won't get as much money from them. Mm -hmm. And so we, we lengthen them so Disney can own, you know, Marvel and make a new Marvel movie and have a lot of money generated from that and be able to reap the benefits of their really expensive creation. We've chosen that as a policy. Yeah. 
and and that's fine. And so we've shaped the law in a way that guides that policy. We say copyright protections need to be longer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the copyright protections just are what they are. They say, you know, life of the author plus 70 years or whatever it is. And that's just the law. The outcome is what we want it to be. And so we can change it. So the justifications for having shorter copyright protections have gone away and society has changed. And so we have changed the law in accordance with it. Right. So, so, you know, we have laws that are probably dated that don't make any sense anymore. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, our legislators should, should work to adapt the law to modern society. Um, so that's, that's, I think that's probably where the crossover between law and politics is, is obviously there's a lot of interplay. It's like Congress needs to change laws to reflect our core values and our policy positions. But again, the law is what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. When you're when you're doing it when you're a judge or you're a lawyer, you're just arguing for what the law is uh and your interpretation of it as it stands. Wow whether it should be changed is, is a political political issue. Right. Yeah. Um so do you guys have any this is something that everyone's gonna have to inevitably deal with, whether it's like a, a lease contract or anything like that. Do you have any uh like help or tips or recommendations for people when they're kind of with contracts and reading through those and, and, you know, any, I don't know, just any tips with that stuff? Yeah, it's so hard. Obviously we can't get specific with any one situation. Um, but yeah, cause we can't give legal advice, but all, and also we don't have the copy of the thing in front of us. I think right. this is another one where it's good to reach out to a lot of those free resources. There's a lot of tenants rights projects mm-hmm. um, in most places. There are, if you can afford an attorney, obviously it might be good to get an attorney, um, even for an apartment lease. Um, it's probably worth, I, I think one thing that is maybe advisable is look at your landlord tenant ordinances where you live. Um, yeah, both the, your state law and then whatever rules there are in your city. Yeah. So for example, I think Coralville has, uh, a max on late fees for rent. Like I think it can only be like $20 a day. And so if you have a landlord who's charging you $40 a day, they probably can't do that. And so if you looked at your ordinances, you would know whether, whether one, it can be overridden by a contract. That's certainly possible. Um, but also what is reasonable in your area. If your landlord is saying, well, I'm going to do X, but the law says they can only do up to Y just say, well, I, I would like to change this provision in my contract to make it consistent with this ordinance. Yeah, if you, and if you have it, then what's the landlord going to do? There's just a wealth of that. The internet is great for this, I think, as long as you're looking at accurate primary sources. So if you're actually going to, you know, your state your government, website. your government website, mm-hmm. um, don't trust any charlatan, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you got to you got to dis, uh, be kind of discerning about that. But I think taking advantage of those free resources is definitely something you should do with just everyday things like leases and, and car insurance, maybe the, the little things you deal with every we, we had a, our episode 10 was about gym memberships. Well, it wasn't about gym memberships, it was about new year's resolutions, but gym memberships is obviously one of the big ones. Right. Right. Uh, and there was one in Michigan and they, the gym, I think, was trying to collect $5,000 or something yeah, in was, membership fees or something. It was pretty unconscionable, um, you know, cancellation fees. Yeah, they had really high cancellation fees, and they were trying to collect on the full contract even though people backed out. And so we were kind of talking about maybe read through the gym membership policy to see if it's worth signing up, maybe just pay the daily fee. 
and, you know, maybe compare to other gyms in the area what they're offering to see if they're being reasonable. Uh, reading through your contracts very carefully is important. Even if it seems like it's something innocuous, like a gym membership, you know, mm-hmm. why, why wouldn't I trust this gym? You know, they have a bunch of customers, lots of people come here, they do classes, whatever. They seem reputable, seems fine. They might've just changed their contracts last week. Who knows? Yeah. Everybody else might be under a different contract. It's good to just make sure you sit down, read through it. If you need help, obviously you can contact somebody. You can ask them to explain it to you. I'm sure that they'd be happy to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with, with landlord tenant stuff or gym memberships, you know, check, check your government websites for just local rules and those things. Sometimes they have just basic, you know, frequently asked questions pages. Yeah. So like what, what are tenants asking? Well, here's the top 10 questions tenants are worried about. Here's where you find them. Nice. Uh, that's what I. That's what I would do. Cool. Yeah, and that's something I feel like a lot of people are uh, like intimidated by is just like the language of a contract, where it's 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 very different from how we normally speak. You know, mm-hmm. um, is and that it, why is that? Is that just go ahead? Well, a lot of the times it's it's intentional, and it's not intended to confuse you necessarily. It's intended to be written very carefully because over time, over a hundred years of contract law, we've discovered certain language works in a certain way and will be interpreted in a certain way. Yeah. And also, you know, it could also be part of, it could be bad lawyering. It um, very much can be just bad writing. And what what sometimes happens. So we, we have legal databases that give us a lot of research tools. Uh, One's called Westlaw, one's called LexisNexis, and they have like form contracts online. So it's just like, here's a pre-written contract that has all the provisions you want uh, and just fill in the company's name and their address and the dates and, you know, make little edits here and there as you like. Right. And on, on there, they have like, you know, really pro company forms and really pro customer forms and you can choose what you want. And so it may very well be that either a, the lawyer who wrote it for them is using a form contract, either from one of those legal databases or from their firm. You know, mm-hmm. law firms often, especially if you have a lawyer who's been doing practice for a long time and he's written a lot of contracts like this, they're probably modeling their contract on another contract they've already written for somebody else right. that they've had success with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be that they didn't look through it super carefully. Uh, or like Luke said, it could be they looked through it very, very, very carefully and they're trying to cover their tracks. They, they don't want they don't want people to confuse it because God forbid it ends up in litigation, you end up mm-hmm. in court about it. We want it to be abundantly clear what we don't mean, yeah. you know, and so it's really lengthy and wordy to exclude all sorts of different possibilities. Yeah, sorry, it's that way. Yeah, uh, ambiguity. <laughs> part of being in society, I yeah, guess. Am- ambiguity is not good. You don't want you don't want to chance your contracts in court. Yeah. You lose a lot of money. Right. So you just got to write it really densely and, and thoroughly to make sure you've covered all your bases. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunately, it's not the most fun thing to read or, or, or go through, but it is uh, necessary, I guess. There is uh, a bit of a movement. I know, I don't know who you had for LAWR1, but I had Professor Sheeran. Mm-hmm. And Professor Sheeran was talking to us about trying to move away from legalese into more. Uh, concise, clear writing. Mm-hmm. So I know still, still today, and especially in Iowa, we have a lot of uh, filings to the court, which start off with like, whereas, 
blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And wherefore, blah, blah, blah. And use a lot of, you know, such as blah, blah, blah. Just a lot of legal jargon that's unnecessary. Uh, So I think there is a push to try and make legal documents a little bit clearer so people who aren't lawyers can more readily understand them. And so they're just easier for judges and other people to read. Mm-hmm. We don't need things from the 18th century or 19th century in our writing just because it's tradition. Yeah. Just because we've always done something isn't a good reason to keep doing it. You know, mm-hmm. there's got to be a good reason for it uh, now. Yeah. And and so some of these contracts could just be old too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, they're dated and just need to be updated. Right. That makes sense with this all this yeah. stuff being so old that – that, that kind of language just hangs on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you guys have any uh, like particular cases or stories or anything from, you know, that you've learned in school or, or just something that comes to mind that are kind of interesting or, or fun, like the, uh, like the kid getting hit in the leg or anything like that? Yeah, I, they tend to give us the memorable ones or the funny ones. Yes, yes. Uh, my favorite ones are any cases that involve animals. Uh <laughs> The reason is because it's usually people, uh, it's almost always people fighting over animals and yes. the animals have no idea what's going on. I, I, yeah, they're just animals. <laughs> There's this big legal dispute about the animals and they obviously they're just, you know, out, out in the field doing their uh, thing. Whatever. Yeah. And people are just super mad about these animals and who owns them or what, what to do with them. And there are some like the one with the cow catcher with the train, for example. That's right. Um, so trains along to the you know, steam engines used to often run into cows. Um, and that was not, that was not good for the trains or the cows or the cows owners. Right. (laughs) And so, and so there were a lot of, uh, cases about what to do about these, you know, trains hitting all these cows. And this, this is a torts issue. And so they came up with this thing called, was it the, the, was it cost justified, yeah, it's cost the least just, least cost avoider, right? So can, who can best avoid hitting cows? Who's in the best position? We could fence in the entire length of the railroad tracks, and someone has to pay for that. We could fence in the land the cows are on. Mm-hmm. Or we could have trains run slower. Um, or we could put a cow catcher on the front. And what's the <laughs> cheapest of those? It's having trains, yeah, operate a little more safely, which means – uh, so they put, you know, the images of trains that have like the, the pointed thing on the front of them, right. the little grates. Well, so the trains are operating more safely, but God forbid they do hit a cow. The, what that was supposed to do was hit the cow and then push it off to the side Jeez. and not keep it on the track. So, <laughs> so that was one of the things they came up with. So trains weren't getting hurt so badly, but also hopefully, you know, if they're driving slower and operating better, the cows aren't running onto the tracks in the first place. Right. So it's just weird stuff like that. There's a, there's a case about, uh, chicken meat. There's this big case called it's a forgalement. Yeah. It's, it's a popular one. It's about contracts and what is the meaning of chicken was the issue. Yeah. They, so they, they bought a bunch of chicken meat and they have like different grades of chicken meat. There's old chickens, new chickens, there's uh, stewing chicken. There's, and so like low quality chicken would be used for stewing. And then there's like young chickens, which would be used for, I don't know, uh, frying, frying, yeah, frying chicken. Right. And so they, they ordered chicken and they sent a particular grade of chicken and the company who low quality, got the low, low quality, quality yeah, chicken. low quality chicken was upset about it. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, sued to 
define what chicken meant in the contract to see if what they sent was reasonable. If it was, if it was a proper, proper chicken delivery. Um, so that's another one. There's also a case with other chickens. Uh, it's the suicide chicken case. That's a good one. Um, so there is a case where it was about, it was about airspace and nuisance. So it was back during, I think world war two, yeah. world war one or world war two. Two. And this, this farm, this chicken farm lived near an airstrip. It was out in a field and the planes kept flying really, really low over this chicken farm, like 70 feet above the tops of the trees, uh-huh. yeah, real, real low. And it would freak the chickens out and they would jump up into the side of the barn and die because the sound was so loud. And so the, 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 the so the farmer sued the, the airline. I don't remember if it's the airline or the, it was the government, the government. it was the government for airspace because uh, the planes were allowed to fly that low. And he was saying, well, I can't make use of the land that I bought because of your stupid, you know, air policy. Mm-hmm. Planes should have to fly higher or be quieter so I can use the land for the, for what I want to do. I, I should be able to quietly enjoy my land. Yeah. I want to raise chickens. This was my income. I can no longer do this. So you either have to recoup my losses and pay me because you prevented me from using my land for that purpose or change your law. Uh, and I think, well, they, they raised the airspace yeah. traveling, but I think they also probably just paid him for his damages. Just paid him off. But, you know, how much of the air were they encroaching on? And then what were his chickens worth? Um, so those are funny things to deal with. Uh, there's also a really famous case of the fox. Um, there, Well, there's two big cases. The very first case that's what our very first episode was about. It's called Pearson v. Post. And it was about, uh, well, the first one is about two guys who were hunting a fox. And one guy was pursuing the fox. And another guy came along and and basically took the fox from him. He he made the kill, took the fox. And the guy who was pursuing was like, hey, that was my fox. And the other guy's like, no, I killed the fox. It's my fox. And so they go all the way up to the Supreme Court of New York, which at the time was the highest court in New York. Uh-huh. About this, who, about who gets this twenty-five dollar pelt, basically, um, and basically, I think the the rule of law was that you have to be have either mortally wounded the fox. So if you if you have deprived the fox of its liberty, then you get the fox. So if you have mortally wounded it, you continue pursuing the fox, then it's yours. Um, otherwise, now, you can come and take it. Other, yeah. If you if somebody mortally wounds the fox, then just leaves it. They've abandoned it, and then the other person can get it. Uh, now we just have laws on this issue. Uh, mm-hmm. There's another fox case, too. I don't know why we had so many fox cases, but there was this one about this pet fox. It was a silver fox. It was named Mackenzie Duncan. It had a name. It was like a family pet. Right. And it it was silver, so it wasn't like a, a fox you would see locally. You know, regular foxes are orange or red or whatever. And the fox came onto somebody's land. Presumably they were trying to protect their chickens again, and they, they killed the fox. And the question was, were, was that okay? Did, should they have killed the fox or should they have known better because it wasn't like a typical fox? Should they have known that it was a family pet because it wasn't like all the other ones? Right. The answer was yes. You, they should have known. They should have killed the fox. Um, it's, it's so distinct and so unique that they should have known that it probably escaped somebody's yard or something. Mm-hmm. It would be like, it would be like if you're in Iowa or Nebraska and you saw a giraffe running through your cornfield, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't shoot the giraffe. Yeah. That's, it's not a deer. It's not a, it's not a duck. It's, you know, you, you should know that a giraffe in Iowa or Nebraska has escaped somewhere 
you should probably call animal control or like a zoo and be like, Hey, I found your giraffe. Mm-hmm. And, not, and not, so the Fox was akin to a giraffe according to the court, basically yeah. that it was so unique. They should have known. So there's lots of, yeah, lots of interesting cases. Like there's also the hairy hand case. Yeah. Everyone likes the hairy hand case. Yeah. So that one, uh, <laughs> what is the, what is the movie that, that that's, uh, so a lot of people have seen the movie, the paper chase. It's from the seventies. It's like one of the most famous legal movies ever. It's like my cousin Vinny in the paper chase. Okay. And, uh, one of the, they're intimidating the students on the first day of contracts class, and it's the stodgy old contracts professor. And he's talking about the case Hawkins versus McGee, which is where a, a doctor promised to give a kid a skin graft so he on his hand. could fix his hand. And uh, he took the skin from his chest because uh, he didn't really know how to do a proper skin graft. This was like 1908 or yeah, 14. It was like skin grafting was early. new. Mm-hmm. And he he, prom- he promised the kid, you know, I'll do the skin graft, and I promise you a perfectly good hand. And they did the skin graft, and he not only didn't get a perfectly good hand, he had a a mangled and hairy hand. So the so the skin from the the kid's chest started growing hair right. on on the palm of the kid's hand. Jeez. So that was uh, it was not a perfectly good hand. Yes. <laughs> so it he was, broke his contract. He broke the contract. It was an enforceable promise because that's all contracts are just legally enforceable promises mm-hmm. and I, i'm sure they probably got damages or something yeah i don't remember but when we're uh talking about contracts cases and stuff from our first year we don't really worry about the damages or whatever happens we just learn that like a promise is enforceable in the law and mm-hmm. here's something that people don't often know is that a lot of times oral contracts really are enforceable you don't always have to have everything in writing Okay. It's probably advisable to put it in writing, but there are only a handful of things that have to be in writing. I see. There's this thing called the statute of frauds, and it basically says there are M Y L E G. Yeah, six, like, like six things. If you want to like, be in writing, like a real estate contract, you have to write down. But um, uh, marriage, right? Marriage, but a contract to paint your house, um, you can contract to paint your house. So you don't have to write it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 it could be oral and you could take it to court and you could still win as an enforceable promise. Huh. So that's another thing people don't realize is that when you make oral contracts, they can be legally enforceable even if they're not in writing. Not putting it in writing is not a defense. Um, or putting it in writing in a bar <laughs> on a napkin. There you go. That's a good one. That, that's another case. Uh, yeah, they, they wrote down uh, Lucy versus Zemer and they were – it was in the 1950s in Virginia and it was around Christmas time and – they got to drinking and arguing, and the owner of the farm, he said it was like a troll. He wrote down, I will sell you my farm for you know $50,000 or whatever, um, and he wrote it on a bar napkin or a receipt, something like that, mm-hmm. a scrap of paper, uh-huh. and that was an enforceable sales contract for the farm. Yeah, so they had Jeez. to sell the farm, and he was – he'd been, he'd been drinking, and he wrote it on a bar napkin or on a receipt or something, and it was enforceable contract. Man. So, uh, yeah. It's crazy stuff can happen, and there's lots of really colorful cases in our in our textbook. They're also really horribly dry cases, like International Shoe. And yeah, most are pretty boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some some stupid procedural matter. It's like, is there is there corporate jurisdiction? Who cares? But mm-hmm. you know, these these like property cases, these old property cases and contracts cases, are all super colorful yeah. and really really fun. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, that thing about the uh, about the trains hitting the cows. I went to. Uh, Iceland on a two-week kind of road trip. We rented this van cool. and went around there. And um, yeah, the guy warned us because there, there's this 
they have like uh they call them like suicidal sheep and they just kind of like all these sheep are along the side of the road right. and then uh just as you drive up the the sound of the they can't really see very well because all like the sheep you know wool sure, in, in yeah. their eyes and stuff and uh as you drive up the the sound from the car will freak them out sometimes so they'll just jump and sometimes they'll jump right into the road so it looks like they're just <laughs> committing suicide right in front of your car right And apparently it's such an issue that they have like established, you know, I don't know, whatever they did. But the guy's like, if just slow down, because if you do hit a sheep, you know, you have to, you know, report it to the the landowner, the sheep owner and uh, give them like 50 bucks for for every sheep you kill or something. But they, they had like a whole, you know, procedure in place for that. Yes. Someone in the Icelandic parliament had to deal with that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, is it is it Iceland that is the the world's oldest continuing democracy? I'm fairly certain that that might be. Yeah, I, be I think so they found like sure. a, some a, a, the world's oldest continuous democracy. It's like 900 years or something. Whoa, we should go. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one. Of, it's either Iceland or Greenland, but I think it's Iceland. I think Iceland is the one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously, uh, different countries can come to different conclusions on what they should do uh, in a situation like the trains or the or the sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, if you put a burden on the driver of the cars to have to pay 50 bucks, well, it's going to be, first of all, it's going to be hard to enforce, right? If you, yeah. if you hit a sheep and it doesn't do any damage to your car, you could drive away, not, which is not what you should do. But, it, you know, what, what's the owner going to do? They're not going to be able to track you down unless there's cameras or somebody else saw you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or you could place the burden and, you know, a good citizen will have to pay the 50 bucks and they don't want to do that. So they'll just drive a lot slower because it's not worth having to stop what they're doing in the middle of the day find the owner say i hit a sheep find a check find cash or use venmo or the cash app or whatever right and give 50 bucks it's just not worth their time and so drivers will go slow mm-hmm. that's one see that's, that's another way that law can shape policy right is that torts in particular uh what we do with the tort law which is like the trains it's like uh, assaults batteries negligence that's all tort law mm-hmm. um if you place a burden on one party it's going to affect that party it can and that burden can be money or it can be risk if you place risk on a party they're more likely to try and mitigate the risk so right um if 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 a manufacturer like there there's a bunch of cases with coca-cola bottles that explode mm-hmm. uh if if it's the manufacturer's fault if any of that happens and it injures a person the manufacturer is going to take, you know, precaution to ensure that doesn't happen mm-hmm. if they have to pay out every single time. And that sort of stuff comes from tort law. And so that that shapes policy. We can we can use tort law to shape what we want people to do. I so that's kind of cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the case of like let's uh, the uh, the fox one where they you know they killed the fox that was the kind of like the family pet was mm-hmm. that so like how was that how is that solution? How does that come about it? Cause that's not, that seems like such a special case that would they, would a policy be written or something about that? Or is that just kind of a one-time thing in a court? Well, so that's the difference between common law and civil law, right? Right. So we have a system, it's called the common law system, right? So it's descended from old England and the legislature or the parliament or whatever can make rules. So they could, in theory, make rules about how to handle, you know, shooting someone's uh, pet fox. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they're probably not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have time. They're not going to think to cover every base. So instead what we have is, um, a system where you can take your case to court and a, a judge, uh, assuming it's a legal issue they can decide on, they'll just come up with a decision. And then that will control every similar pet fox case in that in that state, right? Oh, um, I see. And it will influence pet fox cases in other states. Yeah. Now, if there's a different set of facts, like if it was a regular looking fox, um, then we can say, well, this case is different from that old one. And try and distinguish it for we'll make new rules. A legitimate reason. But and back in the day, we had courts of law and courts of equity. And so this is before, like pre, well, I guess it was in the United States for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a court of law would, if you had a legal remedy, so if you had money damages, if, if that was available to you through the law, mm -hmm. um, you could pursue that. But if you didn't have a legal remedy, you would go to the court of equity and they would do, they would come up with like, what's fair. Basically they try to come up with a fair resolution. There's not necessarily law guiding them, but they, they find some way to make the parties feel at ease, either either return them to their previous position or, uh, you know, take what the other one gained by virtue of their wrong, things like that. But yeah, there, our system does allow you to, if there's not a rule that exists, um, you can take it to a judge and the judge can just sort of make one up. Yeah, they can. Yeah. The judges have that power. Easy enough. Mm -hmm. uh, other, other countries have civil law codes. So, you know, we come from the common law. We have that flexibility to, to just say, well, this Fox thing has never happened before, so we'll come up with a rule. But I think France has civil law, and they write a code trying to cover everything. Um, yeah, so it's really long and really dense. And I don't remember – I think what they do instead of – if something random comes up like that, they still decide it with like a judge. But I think then they write a, a statute in light of that. Yeah, the difference is that one one big difference is that a case that happens in a civil law system, just like the continent of Europe as opposed to Great Britain, um, and that's in those kind of systems, one case decided in a particular way on one occasion doesn't influence future cases. So they can come out in a different way. Hmm. Uh, yeah, as opposed to our pet fox case where that's a pretty famous rule that's probably going to be the rule in – in any situation where a similar thing would come up. Yeah. So I guess the way to, the, the way to kind of think about it is in common law, you set a precedent when you, when you decide a case and that precedent exists forever Yeah. until, until Congress comes in and writes a law because they're like, we don't like this precedent or something. Then they can change it if they want to, but mm -hmm. judges create precedent. And then that, that becomes the common law rule that, you know, there might not be a statute on it, but we have this case that set this rule. So we're going to rely on it in civil law, no precedent. Yeah, it's it's just whatever happens to be in the judge's mind that day, I guess. Hmm. If there's not a statute on it, yeah. yeah. So we we like our common law system. There are uh, pros and cons. Obviously, again, you can have like really old rules that have been the rules for like 200 years, and it's precedent. It's not really helpful today, but we still have this rule, and so then we have to go back and think about whether it's the right rule to follow today, and then mm -hmm. worry about worry about judges, you know, creating. Totally new laws arbitrarily, which is not so good. You know, we don't want judge. Ideally, we want judges interpreting laws, right, and finding resolutions. We don't really want them legislating from the bench either, right? Yeah. We don't. We don't want them making policy because they feel like it. We want them to to follow precedent as best they can, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the legislature can be like, "Oh, hey, do you see this case? Let's go do something about that." If, if, if judges are, if judges are legislating, then we don't have separation of powers, right? We have our three yeah. branches. We want to keep, we want to keep them separate from each other. Yep. Yeah.
Wow, damn. This is incredibly complex, but it's... Uh, hey, yeah. It's why, it's why we go to law school and... It's boring, but it's not too boring. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it can be fun. It's not for everybody, but it's our cup of tea. Yeah, there's the glimpses of, of sunshine in there, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, for every for every terrible outcome you get in a case, you also get some really good outcomes too, right? Yeah. Um, there, there are cases that you know, somebody... Well, there are cases where somebody gets totally screwed over, and then there are cases where you know you stick it to the big guy, mm-hmm. and the, the, little, the little guy comes out on top. So, for every cynical thing we can come up with, and every concern we can point out, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of justice in what we're doing, and, and being able to see kind of how beautiful our system is, and uh, see see the great outcomes, and and the really thoughtful opinions from people who spent their lives studying the law and, and thinking about these problems, writing a, you know, a long opinion from the Supreme court. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's amazing to see the type of work that people are doing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, I guess you could say Robertson mm-hmm. in, uh, the Obamacare case. And it, it's just so fascinating to see how brilliant these people are. So it's just, we, you know, we have a lot of appreciation for it having gone through it. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Man, well, yeah, I appreciate you guys, you know, taking the time and, and kind of sharing that stuff. It's it's super fascinating, interesting. I love it. Well, we we appreciate you sitting through all of it because sometimes sometimes people will talk to people about this stuff and they'll just kind of nod politely, <laughs> smile, and we know that we know that that's just that's our life now. You know, mm-hmm. my fiance is over in the other room and she has to hear us talk about this stuff all the time, and she puts up with us. Right. Uh, we actually got her a book. I don't know if I still have it in here. But it was a book. It was a book that tells you how to live with a law student their first year. <laughs> it's like here's what you're going to expect. Here's how they're going to behave differently. Here's the type of pressure they're going to be under. And here's here's why that's going to suck for you, but it's going to be okay. Yes. Not, yeah, yeah. not that we we do have personalities outside <laughs> of school. Yes, and we try to <laughs> and we try to fan those personalities as best we can. But certainly, yeah. once you're in law school, it becomes a huge part of who you are. Yeah. And you can't you can't go back. Mm-hmm. Well, there's just, it seems like, you know, there's kind of a big stigma to it where people won't even try to like learn about it even, or, or like, they're just like, that's over my head. I don't even care about it, you know, but it's really, if you can just sit for a little bit and, and have a little bit of patience, it's, it's very doable. Yeah. You know? It's comprehensible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think especially our, uh, I think our second and third episodes where we did the due process stuff and the equal protection stuff, that's, that's stuff people really need to know. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, some of it might be complicated and it might challenge you a little bit, but this is, this is like monumental foundational stuff that makes our country what it is. Yeah. And these, it's these systems that affect your lives every single day. And, you know, I think, I think we have a duty as, as Americans and as, as civically engaged citizens to know some of these foundational, especially constitutional principles. And so I think it's worth people's time mm-hmm. to sit down and, and listen and learn. I yeah. think it's worth, worth people's time to get involved and ask questions and and try and learn about the society we live in because there are a lot of problems and when you when you learn things about the law you can learn about why some solutions are good or bad you know it's it's those foundational things those legal ideas that give you a a, a leg to stand on when you take an, a position on something yeah so we we hope that you know anybody who watches this video will check out our podcast um, obviously, you know, comment, send suggestions. If you have questions and you want us to do some research on something, 
email us. We, we, we'd love to do that. You know, if, if, if somebody has an area of the law, they're like, what is this? Why does this work the way that it does? You know, the government shut down. Why, who is that affecting? Why does that matter? Uh, what needs to happen for that to change? Email us, uh, notsuspiciousmedia at gmail.com. Go to our website, www.notsuspiciousmedia.com. Um, and, and we'd love to, to engage with, with whoever and try and uncover these answers, not only for them, but for ourselves too, because we want to know. If you have a... Legal problem, though, go to a lawyer. We're not lawyers. Not a, we're not going to we're not going to give you legal advice, but we'll give yes. you broad, kind of broad, broad overviews of things, and like give you just hopefully in as objective as we can be, understanding of you know the system and the general rule, qualified with this is not legal advice. If you have questions about your specific situation, talk to an attorney. It's the very first thing in every episode. Mm-hmm. The following podcast is not legal advice. If you or someone you know is seeking legal advice. Contact a local attorney. Got to say yeah. it. Yep. 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 Cool. Right on. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, I'll throw links to all that stuff, your website and your email and everything. Do you guys have any uh, social accounts or anything like that? Uh, yeah, we have a Facebook account. You can follow us uh, at CID Podcast, S-E-E-I-D Podcast, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Um, I'm pretty sure it's all at CID Podcast. And then we also have Not Suspicious Media, which is our umbrella for all the other things, we have a few other projects we're working on. So, uh, our friend Mike Sylvester writes a movie review blog called The Real Movie Reviewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's putting stuff out every week. He just did one on the the Golden Globes and one on I think the Oscars that just came, the nomination just came out. Yeah, and on the movie Vice, uh, we have another movie review podcast called The Off Screen Review. They've got about four episodes. Uh, Elijah and Rachel are pretty busy right now. They're both theater students at the University of Iowa and they're in shows right now. So they're kind of trying to balance their, their academic life with their podcast life. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be getting back to it. And then, uh, my fiance, Victoria also has a podcast called the hot seat or no, it's called turn up the heat. It was going to be called the hot seat. It's called turn up the heat. <laughs> and well, the, the tag is that you get put in the hot seat. So the, the yeah. premise is that she invites a guest on and they don't know what they're going to be asked. Uh, yeah. and they're just, they're asked, you know, questions on the spot about uh, a political topic or something, and they give their opinion. Okay. And we don't criticize. We don't. She gives some pushback just to kind of probe why people think how they do and why they feel the way they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody comes on voluntarily. We're not like chaining people to a chair, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so all that's up on our website, notsuspiciousmedia.com. So you can check all that out there. You can listen to all the podcasts and read the reviews, or yeah, the the blogs on our website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, PlanetPod, whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah, so reach out to us at all of our social media accounts, and we can email you some of those links so you can share them as well. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, thank you, guys. And, and thanks uh, so much, Travis, for having us on. We, we really enjoy yeah, your, sweet. Your, your podcast, and we hope that it, you continue doing great things. We'll, we'll keep in touch with you, and maybe we can check back in sometime in the future. Yeah, let's do it. That'd be great. Thanks, guys. All right. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah, have a good one, Ryan. Yep. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey guys, Travis is here again. Um, so the podcast is over, it's done, so you can just leave right now, so don't worry about it. But I just had a couple things I wanted to mention and say to you guys. So first of all, thanks for listening to the episode or watching the episode, super appreciate that. Um, if you want to connect with me or in, in the podcast, uh, we're on, we have a website, it's called curiosityness.com. Um, Curiosityness is C U 
R I O S I T Y N E S S. Kind of weird. Um, but that's what it is. Curiositynest.com. Uh, you can go there. We have an Instagram, Instagram.com slash curiositynest podcast. So not just curiositynest for the username. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Trav DeRose, T-R-A-V-D-E-R-O-S-E, if you want to find just me. Um, oh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash curiositynest. We're on YouTube. Uh, I think just go to YouTube and search curiositynest and we'll pop up. Uh, I don't think we have a URL for that one. Sorry. Oh, and we have a, I have an email address, Travis at curiositynest.com. So if you want to email me, you know, give me your thoughts on the show, suggestions, tips, uh, maybe like a suggestion for a new, for a guest who could come on, maybe yourself or somebody that you know who might be interested or, or you would like to hear on the podcast. Let me know about that stuff. I, I would love to hear that. Um, Oh, and then if you could leave a review, too, for the podcast, that would be super appreciated. Uh, the reviews in, like, in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, wherever you're listening to this, super help. Um, just drop, like, a star, whatever star review. I won't tell you to do five, but it'd be nice. Uh, so drop a review. You can write a review even, too, if you want. That would be even better. Um, but that's about it. So thanks again for watching. I super appreciate you, you know, listening to the whole show and staying here. Um, and yeah, thanks again. Have a good day. Bye-bye.